A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the World in Sport. I'm Vinnie Wiley. This week, Manu Samoa trimmed their squad ahead of next month's All Blacks test. Fiji's run at the Under-20 Football World Cup comes to an end and the Pacific Games venues are to be tested. But first, tributes have been flowing for the former All Black Jerry Collins following his shock death last week. The Samoa-born 34-year-old and his wife were killed in a car crash in France while their baby daughter remains in a critical condition in hospital. A fundraising page has been set up to support their daughter Ayla, which has so far raised almost 30,000 New Zealand dollars. His agent, Tim Castle, spoke to Susie Ferguson earlier this week on behalf of the Collins family. The outlook remains very uncertain, Susie. That's the, that's the most accurate word I can give you at this time. Critical, yes. Uh, outlook, uncertain. The, the update, uh, I suppose, is simply that there is no change to that, those circumstances. And family and friends are actually at that hospital in France helping to support and helping to, to be part of her, her recovery. Yes, uh, on-the-ground presence is so important and so valuable, of course, particularly uh, for the Collins family uh, who are here. So, uh, so far as Alana's family uh, is concerned, her sister Brenna is there, uh, and Alana's mother and father are travelling from Canada to be with Alana and Ayla. Uh, so f- in relation to Jerry's family, of course, um, th- their close uh, friends and Jerry's close friends, Namia Tialata and his wife Sally, Chris Masoi uh, and his wife Gemma, they are with Jerry and have been with Jerry. They, of course, uh, along with uh, others, Played with Jerry not only for Wellington and the Hurricanes, but also for the All Blacks. They're both playing in France, and they have both be they have both been with Jerry. And so, really, they're the Collins family representatives on the ground, and they've been with him. Indeed, they've they've uh, been with the funeral directors and have dressed him ready for his travel back to New Zealand. And so, his body to be returned to New Zealand. Is there any information at this stage as to? when that may be happening and also what is going to be happening with Alana? The arrangements for repatriation uh, are, in, are in, in, in train. It's, it's, um, it's a complex uh, process uh, for both of them. Jerry, of course, is wanted by his family back home as soon as possible and Alana likewise for her family. There are no details yet of, of timing uh, and when uh, that might be possible. Um, Sunday, of course, in, in France, uh, a little less progress than, than might have otherwise been possible, but we're hopeful that we can make progress very quickly and, and uh, that they can be home. Is it clear to you, Tim, what happened here with the crash? There are reports that I've seen that they'd passed their turn-off and so we're actually travelling on a road that perhaps they shouldn't have been. Also that Jerry was in the back. Can you shed any light on what actually happened in those final moments? It seems uh, clear that 
uh, Jerry was in the back, was in the back, and Alana was driving. The rest of the details uh, uh, um, seem to be uh, emerging in a, in, a, in a rolling mall kind of fashion, and it's very difficult to speculate on what actually happened. And until I see, and we see, and the family sees uh, the the police report, it's really just speculation as to exactly what what happened and how it happened. Now, obviously, a public figure, but for you, he was a friend, he was someone you worked with closely. How do you think that Jerry Collins will be remembered? How will you remember him? Uh, well, Susie, um, I, I understand the inquiry. My role is very um, specific at, at, at the moment, which is to speak on behalf of the Collins family. It, it's... Um, it's too raw for them and, frankly, for me to engage in a discussion that's, that's necessarily of interest uh, in, in trying to answer your question. That I prefer not to at the moment may of itself be an answer for you. Manu Samoa rugby coach Stephen Beatham says Collins was a proud Samoan and they are keen to honour him when Samoa plays New Zealand next month. Oh, definitely. Um, I think Jerry Collins is a great ambassador to the game. He'll be dearly missed not only for for New Zealand, but Samoa. I do recall when he comes to Samoa, he um, actually sometimes puts on the boots and uh, helps the boys train. We've seen that in the past, and, you know, he's 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 been a great ambassador. And, you know, anything that we can do to um, help uh, remember Jerry on the day we play the All Blacks will, you know, be great for us to, to do. And, um, you know, we can only offer um, condolences to, to Jerry's family and his partner. Is it true that he um, had been keen to somehow find a magic way to, to play for Samoa at the World Cup? Yes, he has. Uh, he did signal um, towards the end of, of last year when we were in Europe and if there was any possible way of him playing for Samoa in the World Cup, but um, unfortunately it hasn't gone that way. I wouldn't um, know how the Sevens uh, coaches would have thought of it, but um, you know, would have been nice to have a go. Meanwhile, Stephen Beetham has named the revised 45-man Manu Samoa squad, which will be trimmed to 26 a week out from the historic test against the All Blacks in Apia. Hukati'i Paolo has joined prop census Johnston and lock Daniel Leo in retiring from international rugby. Beetham admits it's a major setback, but says they can't afford to dwell on what they can't change. No doubt that we've lost uh, a chunk of experience, but um, you know we, we salute those boys and, and we respect their calls and we see it as an opportunity for someone else to, to make the step up and hopefully um, start his career off towards the World Cup. There's been a lot of talk on that issue. Obviously, Daniel's come out very publicly and talked about the players' perspective that they want to play for their country, but you know clubs are basically you know making them choose between bread and butter on the table for their families and you know representing their country. And as we know, it's already quite a financial sacrifice for them to turn out for the Manu. Um, as a coach, you want the best players available. How hard is it to see some of your best players have to make that decision? And I guess, unfortunately, from your point of view, a lot of them you know, make one that means they're unavailable. At the end of the day, we, we respect their call. We know it's not an easy call, but you know we see it, like I said before, it presents an opportunity for someone else. And um, just unfortunate that that's the way professional rugby is at the moment. But, um, you know, we, we can't afford to, to sit back and worry about it. We've got to build the next person and, and make sure that he's ready for the task. And so some of the other players that aren't available, Paul Williams, Albert Anna, Peter Saili, Salosi Tajitakibao, Winston Stanley, Alapati Laiua, Lugavi'i Mulipula, um, what's the deal with them? Is that an injury thing or have any have they made themselves unavailable as well? Paul Williams, 
along with the Imulipola, those players are all un, under injured cloud. We do have Tiula Fasalele and Alapatile who are out for the year. They've got serious injuries, so they've been ruled out for a year. Um, but Paul and Lomobi'i hopefully are back for the World Cup. So um, we're, we're not rushing them back. They are slowly uh, preparing for that. Um, they know that their injuries are race against time and then they're going to try their best to, to get ready. But as for the others, um, it was a selection policy which was hard. But, you know, in saying that, we, we felt that um, we, we picked the best players that um, are ready to, to take on the All Blacks and, and also um, the Pacific Nations Cup. And uh, one of those included Motu Matu'u. I guess he's been under a bit of an injury cloud here in New Zealand as well. Are you confident that he'll be fit and available? Motu indicated his availability. Unfortunate that he got injured, and I think he's ruled out for eight weeks. So his, his injury, um, unfortunately, is he's missed the All Blacks and, and PNC. But uh, we're, we're hoping that he'll be ready for the uh, upcoming World Cup. And uh, in terms of that all-black test match, um, obviously a lot of excitement, lots of tickets sold, uh, lots of work being done to Apia Park. What are you anticipating from them, and uh, what should we what should we anticipate from you? <laughs> at the moment, we we we, we uh, we're taking a close look at, at the Super 15, and at the moment, we sort of um, looking at the teams that that won't make that uh, final berth. Um, and then we know that the All Blacks will be built from those Super franchises who um, who get knocked out. As for us, you know, we're going to try our best to um, play squash strings and uh, hopefully on the day um, we can do the job. There is obviously so much expectation, anticipation on this match. You've got a Prime Minister and Chairman who's uh, very vocal about uh, how well Samoa is going to do. Uh, do you share his uh, confidence? We will prepare to the best we can um, and we'll put out the best team we think that they can do the job. And uh, again, it'll be a David and Goliath battle, but, um, you know, there's always hope that, that David uh, comes through at the end. Are there any other players, Stephen, that could still be ruled out in terms of uh, retirements or run availability that you're unclear of? Is there still a chance that some people might have to do that? Um, at the moment, no. No one has indicated yet. Um, but um, everyone from the 44 we've named uh, all uh, have, have answered. And, and um, the only thing that uh, restricts them now is, is, is injury with um, their last uh, club games. And uh, and you also made it very clear, I think, a, a year or, or even two years ago, you know, since you've been in this job, that you wanted players who wanted to play for the Manu and and who were going to declare early and not just come in at the last minute. So does that mean that if, if a high-profile player suddenly became available, you wouldn't consider them? Or is there still a chance for anyone who, you know, Motu Matu's obviously put his hand up and said that he's available. Uh, if somebody else did something similar, w- would you consider them? Definitely. Um, it, it, I think it all depends on whether we're um, lacking in that position. Um, we, we can't really be close-minded about it. I think it, if we have depth in that position, then um, you know we, we'll, we'll definitely have an answer for it. But um, if, if we don't have depth in it, then it, it's something that we have to consider carefully and and um, look at look at the player who's um, raised his hand. That's Manu Samoa head coach Stephen Beatham. Fiji coach Frank Farina says he's extremely proud of the team's performances at the Under-20 Football World Cup and says they showed that given an opportunity, they can compete at that level. The Melanesian Minnows created history with a stunning 3-0 victory over Honduras last week in their second group match, either side of an 8-1 defeat by Germany and a 3-0 loss to Uzbekistan on Sunday. Frank Farina says the players exceeded his expectations. The team surprised me in a, in a lot of ways, you know, in, in the manner that they played for the three games. Obviously, the crowning point was the game against Honduras. 
look, I was very proud of the team, and I think Oceania should be pretty happy with everything. You know, New Zealand going through the, the round of 16, and, and Fiji almost going through. That's a great coup, but to say the least, I was surprised and very proud, and um, as I said in the beginning, we have to be realistic. It was the first time for Fiji, and I think they performed at admirably. What do those sort of results, not just Fiji, New Zealand, as you say, what does that do for Oceania's credibility in world football? At this level, under-17s, under-20s, which is this World Cup, uh, it does enormous things for Oceania. You know, we, we were re- re- realistic, and, and we knew that most probably if the, the World Cup was held anywhere else, um, Fiji wouldn't have qualified. But it was in New Zealand, and, and thanks to New Zealand, Fiji got the chance to, to, to play there. I think for Oceania, it's, it's a real coup. It's, it's, a, it's a big thing that both teams have, have done well and improved the push for more spots at, at young World Cups, like under-17s and, and under-20s. And uh, how do you sort of assess the three games? I guess all very different. You had the first one, David versus Goliath, and, and that's probably putting it kindly. Uh, you know, you're playing a team, yeah. that's, a team that's probably favoured to win the tournament, and, you know, 8-1 was obviously a, a heavy loss, but, you know, considering it was 6-0 at half-time, it possibly wasn't that bad. And then second game, Honduras, stunning victory, everyone stunned, or world football stunned, and... And then suddenly you go into that last game against Uzbekistan having a chance of making it through, which I guess is a, a kind of pressure the team possibly hadn't had on them in the other games. I think the first game against Germany, which they're a team that I, I, I would back to most probably go all the way. The first half was, oh, look, it, 6-0, you know, you can look at it however you want, but the second half was good. And, and what I was really pleased about with Fiji was that the players continued to improve throughout the tournament. And even the last game against Uzbekistan... You know, a bad mistake from the goalkeeper, which we conceded the first goal, which really killed the team. As I said earlier, I was very proud of what they did. And um, it just shows that I think for Oceania, it was a good indication that, you know, a team can compete at this level. It was it was great. And I think you said after that last match that not only were you proud of the team, that the team was a bit disappointed as well, which I guess showed how far they'd come in the sense that you know, they actually, you know, believed there for a moment or, you know, had expectations that, that they could go on. Well, exactly, you know, and, and I spoke to all the staff, to the Fiji board and everyone, and I said, look at this. I mean, before the World Cup, you, you would never have thought that you would be in a position to be disappointed at the last game in the group stage that you, you missed out. You know, everyone was just basically going in there about credibility and putting up up a front. But, you know, to go into the last game and then to miss out and to see that disappointment, for me, was a massive positive. I, I give full credit to everyone here and um, in Fiji and uh, you know also Oceania. So it, it shows that things can happen. World football is very funny when you come to these levels, you know, under-20s and under-17s. And, uh, Frank, three big matches in the group stages. Prior to it, you had a lot of build-up games. Uh, Myanmar, uh, Malaysia, um, obviously uh, in Sydney you had a couple of games and I think you played Hungary before the tournament too. So all those matches... Uh, against top opposition. Now the tournament's over for Fiji. How do you ensure that what they've learned and what they've, uh, how they've developed throughout this tournament is capitalised on and that they you know, can move forward from here? Yeah, well, look, I'm, I'm back in Fiji and I've got to put in my report from the World Cup moving forward for Fiji football. Um, I'll be doing that. And, look, you know, I, I think it's very bright. You know, I hope and I... You know, I presume that they will keep moving forward. But, you know, I've had the wonderful privilege of being involved with this team until the end of June. So I I actually finish up here. So I'll be heading back to Australia, playing a bit of golf and enjoying myself. 
within your team, obviously a number of people had standout tournaments. Uh, I guess most people saw the goals from uh, young Veravu and, and were impressed by him. Um, who, who impressed you? Look, I'll never select individuals. What I'll say is that, you know, everyone, we used, I think, 14 players during the, the course of the three games, and I was really proud of all of them. And even the ones on the bench were so supportive and pushing for the team to do well. So the attitude was fantastic. And, and if you look at the discipline record of the team as well, I think we had four yellow cards in the whole three games of the World Cup, where you know history suggests that when a team is getting really beaten or whatever, particularly from Oceania, that, that they tend to lose um, discipline. But I was so proud of the boys with their discipline um, in terms of on the field and the way that they played. Uh, they were fantastic. And, and I think what, what's happened here now with the under-20s in New Zealand augurs well for Fiji's national team in the next you know, four or five years. That's the Fiji under-20 football coach, Frank Farina. A number of Pacific Games venues will receive their first big test this weekend with a series of practice events in Port Moresby. The Sir John Guy's Outdoor Stadium, which will host the game's opening and closing ceremonies, is among the venues being used for the first time. The Chief Executive Officer of the Games Organising Committee, Peter Stewart, says most of the venues are close to completion with less than four weeks until the games begin. So we're in a process at the moment uh, where we're bumping in the things that we need to bump in and the contractors are finishing off the last bits that they need to finish off uh, and moving their equipment out. So it varies depending on the venue, but uh, it's working together during that period of time, which is a normal process that happens from a from a games perspective. I know uh, Team PNG, obviously they've, uh, I guess, been having similar challenges in the sense that most of them are based in PNG and... Therefore, they've had to be creative, I guess, in terms of where they train and how they train. And a lot of athletes have uh, travelled overseas for various competitions. Um, when do you expect them or, or any other athletes, for that matter, might be able to get a, a look through and a bit of a test of some of these uh, venues? So for the next couple of weekends, we've got test events running, starting on the 13th, the weekend of the, uh, I think it's the 13th and 14th. And then the following weekend, we've got uh, test events in virtually all of the venues. They range from full-on uh, elite-level competition to school competitions. Uh, they give us an opportunity to test the fields of play, make sure that they're suitable, gives us an opportunity to put a crowd into the venues, so we're certainly very interested in doing that, give people a chance to have a look at the venues. So we know that uh, nowadays with mobile phones, there'll be photos going everywhere on social media showing what these venues are, and we think that's fantastic because it will show just the quality of the venues where people are going to be able to come, and that, of course, helps with ticket sales. And the more tickets we sell, the bigger the crowd, and that's better for the athletes to be competing in front of a large crowd. And uh, you mentioned ticket sales. Obviously, a lot of people will be coming in, both athletes, officials, uh, some fans, uh, an influx of people. Uh, Logistically speaking, uh, how are things faring in that regard? We've sold over 180,000 tickets, uh, which we're very pleased about. We have around half a million tickets available. Uh, the, the main uh, smaller venue uh, f- events, particularly weightlifting and uh, basketball, volleyball, they're selling out very quickly. Swimming is totally sold out. You can't get a ticket for swimming anymore. The, um, the weightlifting is about 90% sold out. All of the packages that we had for that allowed people to see every day of a particular sport or every day in a particular venue uh, for some of those venues have sold out already. But day tickets are still available. But we have plenty of tickets available for soccer, 
softball, uh, lawn bowls, touch football, which are all at Bassini, and we have plenty of tickets for athletics and rugby sevens and rugby nines, which is at St John Guy's Outdoor Stadium, which are big venues that can accommodate a number of people. That's the CEO of the Pacific Games Organising Committee, Peter Stewart. And that's the World in Sport for this week. I'm Vinnie Wiley. As always, thank you very much for listening. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend <laughs> that I don't right Hold now. it in. Hold on. And our current faves. And Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.